Welcome to the Financial Advisors Advisor, the podcast offering guidance and advice on all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the go-to podcast for any financial advisor in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at ercadvisors.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Frank LaRosa, the CEO of Elite Consulting Partners, and I am the Financial Advisors Advisor. I'm here with my COO, my right-hand guy, Dale Dempsey. How you doing, Dale? Doing great. Good day. Can't wait to put it all out there. New episode. A little, little hot today, but that's okay. We'll it take is, it. Yeah, it's a little hot. We'll take it. Hey, before we get started, just wanted to say thank you to everybody that's been listening to the podcast, downloading it, subscribing to it, leaving reviews. We really appreciate it. It's been a great start. Uh, we're going on our uh, our sixth episode, and we appreciate all the great feedback that we've been getting, emails about topics that people want to hear about. Uh, so we really appreciate it. Yeah, and if you're a first-time listener, thanks for joining us. We really created this show for financial advisors, broker-dealers, RIAs, and, and just want to give updates, insights on topics that we think might affect you, your practice, your business, your clients. Yeah, today's topic is all about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And uh, we're going to talk today a lot about shrinkage and why shrinkage is an important thing for advisors to be comfortable with. And what I want to step back and talk a little bit about is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And in the podcast conversation that you're listening to today, for me, is just that. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a while, but quite frankly, uh, was reluctant to do because I was uncomfortable with the whole idea of speaking on a microphone and being recorded and, and doing all the types of things that make a lot of people uncomfortable. But I knew at the end of the day, it was the right thing for us to do to communicate the things that we want to talk about and help educate the financial services industry and wealth management industry and and all of you advisors that are listening on the things that you should be paying attention to. And so it was really, this whole process for me was uncomfortable. And I really just had to get comfortable with it. And so what I want you to think about, so this conversation today is really going to make a lot of you uncomfortable because I've had these types of conversations with advisors in the past and I know it it does make them uncomfortable. But the ones that dive into it, no pun intended, actually come out way ahead. I'm, I'm sort of still on the edge of my seat here because you keep saying shrinkage. What what are you what so or are you saying uncomfortable? What do you what are you getting so at? So what we're really talking about and what we're gonna talk about today is and this is sort of on the heels of us coming into what advisors should be doing right now, mid year reviews, looking at their uh, their book of business, their practice, and analyzing where they're at relative to their goals, relative to their revenue, assets, and the number of accounts and clients that they have. And we're talking about this because we've just been having a lot of conversations over the last, I don't know, last month or so with advisors. And Dale, you've had, I've heard you on the phone with some of these advisors where they are complaining about the number of clients that they have, the number of households the firms uh, are trying to okay. push them to open gotcha. in order to hit bonuses. Yes. You know, Merrill Lynch is just really 
doing this, or should, I should say Bank of America, is really, and they just tweaked it again, right? So advisors have to add more. Yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, that, but this is an old concept, actually, Not for, old firm, concept. for firms to do this. And Merrill recently, it's it's funny because it's sort of like what's good for the firm may not be good for the advisor, may not be good for the client. And the idea was, okay, you bring on more accounts, you're growing counterintuitively to scaling your practice in a different way by focusing on on a specific on right type clients. of client. Yeah. Right. And so right. the conversations that we've been having are about advisors complaining that their firms are trying to incent them to open up new accounts. But really at the end of the day, that is counterproductive to the growth of an advisor's business because the more accounts you have and households you have, the harder it is to really service them. And for a lot of reasons, right? It stresses out your clients, your client service associates, but there's more phone calls coming in, more client meetings, more questions, more emails, more of everything. And there's only so many hours in the day that an advisor and the advisor's team and staff can spend on their clients. And so what I'm going to be asking everybody to be thinking about today is getting rid of shrinking their client base in order to grow. And that's really uncomfortable to a lot of people. Um, I talk to advisors a, a lot where, you know, sort of a new account's like their whoopee, right? It makes them feel comfortable that they opened up a bunch of new accounts this year. When really at the end of the day, those those new accounts aren't really accretive to the growth of their business. And if anything, are really subtracting from what they're ultimately trying to get done. Um, everyone talks about wanting to get bigger accounts, but you're still willing to open up small accounts. And so- when we talk about shrinkage, that's what we're talking about. For everybody else that was thinking it was something else, get your mind out of the gutter. That's not what I was talking about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting too. If you're looking to sell your practice or buy another practice, this is something that comes up time and time again. They're looking at, you know, either the seller or the acquirer, especially I hear this a lot on the acquiring side. Yeah, well, you know, I might acquire the business, but only a certain portion of the business it's too many accounts and it disrupts my service model. I, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a hard time maintaining the level of, of service capabilities for existing clients. And if I'm bringing something on a practice on that doesn't fit into that, you know, for the person selling, that's that's a challenge too, right? So you think you want all these accounts? Guess what? If you're selling it down the road, it it may not make sense. No, it's, again, it's 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 it works against you. Yeah, I always look at. The number one reason why clients leave a practice is not not because of price, not because of performance. It's because of service. And if you have too many accounts, not only can you not implement sort of wow factor kind of stuff, but you can't do the things that you want to do with your better clients. Hosting events, you know, they're gonna it's gonna cost you more money to host events. Sending out calendars, sending out different whatever gifts you wanna you wanna send out. Those are the types of things that are really detraction of your business and going to hurt you in the long run. Just, you know, as clients get older, there's going to be things that you want to spend more time with them on. Again, spend more time. And you can't do that if you're talking to a client that has $50,000 or $100,000 that doesn't want to pay you a lot of money. They're, every time you charge them a fee, they want to question you about it, which brings up the, another piece, another aspect of it. It's sort of a, a mind drain, 
right? If you're a successful advisor out there, you're always thinking about your business and you're always thinking about your clients. And your job should be to make sure that you're giving your best clients the best service. But if you get a phone call from called a C or a D client who's busting your chops over some fee that you charge and giving you a hard time because their account is down 1%, it's going to wear you out and sort of drain your brain. And then also when your best client calls, it's like you don't want to talk to them because you're worn out. Well, that's not good. No. Okay. So at what point do you get rid of the the C clients or the D clients or is there... Yeah, so was there a model that- Well, you shouldn't you, have, you really shouldn't have D clients. So uh, one of the things that you should be looking at um, is it's not really getting, at what point you get rid of them. It's really how do you evaluate whether you should get rid of them or not. And one simple rule, and this doesn't uh, relate to any any size client. This could be your best client. I mean, not your, it could be one of your biggest clients and with some latitude, right? But if a client calls and every time that client calls, and you roll your eyes because you just don't want to talk to that client, uh, okay. they should not be in your business, even if they're a big account, because that's a drain on, again, you and your staff. Uh, the other thing that you should look at is it's not always about the revenue or the assets that a client has as well. You can have a great client who's a, who has a small amount of money with you because he's a CPA that works with executives and refers you a lot of business. So that that individual can be a great client. And so there's all these different types of ways to an- analyze a client's book. What you should do is, and, and you have to think about this, and after after this conversation, I hope you go back to your office. Uh, if, you're, you know, if you're listening to this on the way home or listening to this going to the office in the morning or whatever, or the weekends, really just think about, do you even have a way to do that today? Do you have any idea... Which of your clients are, you know, platinum clients or gold client, you know, platinum, gold, silver, come up with a service model where you can identify who is who. Um, I've had advisors use first class, business class and coach, platinum, gold, silver. The basic one is ABC. And again, notice I'm not adding a fourth in there because I don't believe that you should have a fourth. Okay. If you have a, again, unless and they don't really qualify as a fourth. They really qualify as a, as a C. And that's like the Gen Xers or the up-and-coming attorney, just you know, just graduated law school, works for you know, a top 25 law firm, maybe only making, or she's only making you know, $250,000, $300,000 if they're in New York, for example, and there's scale. So a first-year lawyer is going to make about uh, 200, but they probably have $200,000 in law school loans. But that that's a person that's going to have some wealth down the road. So with that kind of client, you have to actually have a service model to, to work with that client. I don't want to call it like a service desk, but you have to have something. And that could be maybe a junior advisor on your team that works with those smaller producers. You know, they're a junior advisor. They can relate to that advisor better than maybe you, 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 know, you can if you've been in the business for 30 years or whatever. And so those are the types of things that you have to look at Okay, we're not we're not saying just because a, a client doesn't have a lot of money with you, they're a bad client. It's what does the overall client look like, right? What does that profile look like? I would say you have to factor in revenue and assets, but then you also have to factor in are they a center of influence and can they lead you to more revenue and assets? That's what I thought you were going toward. Okay, right? those are the types of things that you have to look at. The other thing that 
makes people really uncomfortable when I suggest this is you should have not only a fee minimum, but an account minimum. And I say account. So for everybody listening, when I, when I talk about an account, I'm talking about the household, the relationship. So the relationship should have you know, no less than $250,000 in assets or $500,000 in assets. You have to look at your average household size and sort of take it down a little bit of a notch and then draw a line in the sand with what you feel comfortable with because you should be looking at what you're making per household. And so the way you have to look at that is how much is your total production divided by the number of households you have, right? And then look at your staff. If you're an advisor in a retail office, if you're paying for your staff, your different costs, look at the cost and, and divide it by your average revenue per per advisor, per client. And then you'll figure out what your cost is per client. And then once you've figured out what your minimum should be, go to the clients that are on the bubble, right? So clients that are a little bit over the minimum and a little bit under the minimum and tell them what you're doing. Have a conversation with Mr. Mr. Smith and tell him, hey, John, I'm giving you a buzz or you can do it in a, in a client meeting. I'm giving you a buzz because I wanted to talk to you about our new service model. We're really taking things up a notch. I really want to make sure that we're giving all of our clients that we have the best service model possible. And in order to do that, we have to sort of limit the number of clients that we have. And we have to also, and by doing so, we have to set certain minimum household sizes because if we have too many clients, it's going to detract from great clients like you. And so you put it in that in that term, right? Because they may have been with you for a long time. Maybe they started with you, which is also another little thing you have to look at. Did they start, Have they been with you for 20 years when you first started in the business? And there's some loyalty there. I, I get that. But have that conversation with the client and say, look, our minimum is $500,000. And they're going to say, well, well, Frank, I, I only have like 300. Is that, are you telling me I have to go find another another uh, advisor? What you're, what you're going to say to them is, no, uh, I'm just sort of setting the stage so that you understand where I'm taking the business to your benefit. And although you're you're below the minimum, I know that, you know, we'll work towards, you know, getting you, you know, bringing in more assets. You know, there's, I know you have an account over at Merrill or you have an account over at, at Morgan Stanley. Maybe, maybe you, you can bring that over. Uh, but the other way we look at a client is the types of referrals that they can send us. So I just want you to understand if the client has given you referrals, you can say, you know, thanks for the referrals in the past. I just want you to understand the, the types of clients that we're looking for. So when you're thinking about referring clients to me, you have some idea of the levels that we're looking for so that we're not taking on small accounts and then and then having service issues with you. And just articulate that. And I, I can tell you, almost to a conversation that you have, they will either bring you more assets or they will refer you clients that are, and most most clients refer up. Right. So they're gonna refer you a client bigger than them. They feel they feel um, proud that you're you know doing this, that you're not not asking them to leave. You know, it's and it, it builds a great relationship. When I was an advisor back in the day, I had those conversations and that's how they went. But it was uncomfortable to have at the beginning. I trusted my branch manager at the time because I had a high service model and I just couldn't, you know, delivering that level of service 
and the number of meetings and those types of things was difficult. So have that kind of conversation. When do, when do you have that? Is that ongoing throughout the year? Or is that yeah, no, I think that's why sort of that's why uh, for those of you listening, why we're having this conversation today because I think that as a practitioner, you should work on your business at minimum twice a year. When I mean work on your business, meaning from you know sort of step away, look at it from 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 an outsider's point of view, and under and look at the look at the gaps. What are you doing well? What can you do better? What can you improve on? And that includes everybody on your team. And July is a good time to do that. It's a little bit slower. Uh, it's quieter in the office, so you have some quiet time to do that. And then you should be looking at it at the end, at the end of the year. But the end of the year comes up fast. And so if you just push it off because you want to go on vacation or whatever, then if you're only doing one a year, uh, you're just not going to be able to get ahead of it. And part of the exercise that I'm asking you to do, in, in addition to coming up with a service structure, right? Platinum, gold, silver. For each one of those levels, how are you differentiating the service model to those clients? So you can go to your platinum clients and tell them what you're doing. Bring them bring them inside. Tell them what you're trying to get accomplished, but deliver something different to them, right? So maybe it's, it's meetings once a quarter versus semi-annually for the gold. It's special dinners, higher-end restaurants, special events, off-site events, whatever you have interest in doing. Most of the times, your your clients are like you, so they have the same types of interests. Do some things like that, and then for your C clients, you know your ABC, platinum, gold, silver. E- even have some things for them. So for us, you know, we have something similar where we, uh, for the holidays, you know, we give out uh, sort of gift baskets and all those types of wine things. And it's based on a, on a sort of client level. Our best clients get the biggest gift baskets. Our medium-sized clients get the medium-sized gift baskets. It's just really important to articulate why you're doing that. And they will appreciate that because they know that you're doing it for, in their best interest. And, you know, they're going to be proud of it. They'll help you grow. But I know it's uncomfortable. If you trust me, uh, as some advisors have done in the past, I've had advisors that sort of went went all in and trusted me when I said this to them. And they, they've come back to me and said every time they gave away a client, which I'll, I'll get to in a second, every time they gave away a client, they brought in 2x in assets of what they gave away because they were spending more time with their better clients. Instead of giving it away, because I could see a lot of advisors well, maybe talking about that. like, like, yeah, right. The pipe, maybe the pipe dream of, well, the advisors, the, the client's going to hit the lottery. Oh, yeah. The, right. the uncle's going to die and, and give him all this, 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 this money. Can you yeah. just, can you just split that with another advisor? Or do you think that's a bad idea? I do think it's a bad idea because one, you know, the rich uncle thing, uh, or we used to call it the Prince of Brunei. You know, one day you're <laughs> going to meet the Prince of Brunei or he's going to get, he's going to refer you to some business or whatever. It doesn't happen that often. And you end up holding on to clients for a long, long, long time than you, that you shouldn't. But to your point, and this is a little bit controversial also, and I use sort of the expression like, you know, burn the ships at the shore, right? Um, back in the old days, you, captains would burn the ships so that their, their soldiers would have no, no chance to turn around. They just have to sort of take whatever hill that they were trying to take. But the point is, in this industry, and as it becomes more and more regulated and litigious, if you give your D book to a 
junior advisor. I'm not talking about your C book, right? Those are potentially good clients. I'm talking about your D book. You give those to your, a junior advisor on your team, which is really, really doesn't accomplish anything. But even if you give the D book to an advisor in your office and you have some split, like, oh, I'll give, I'll, I'll take 20% or 10%, whatever, it doesn't matter what the split is. That client is still going to have some type of connection to you. They're still going to call you. They're going to want to talk to you once in a while. And now all of a sudden you're making even less money in that client. But even more so where I don't think you should do this is you're still carrying the risk yeah. of having that client. You have liability. You have liability. It doesn't matter what, what your percentage say. is. That client sues because that young advisor did something dumb. You're going to get named in the lawsuit. It doesn't matter if it's if you're 1%. So besides the upside of giving it to the younger advisor would be the revenue, maybe not much, but then what, the experience? Is that why people do it? They give the younger advisor some experience working with clients? Yeah, because you're going to, look, the young advisor has to get some experience and it's, it's the chicken or the egg, right? They, they can't get experience if they don't have any clients. So by having some clients that they're, that they're working with, Right. And I'm not saying, you know, throw the clients to the wolves like they're going to be not taken care of the right way, but they're small, they're small accounts. So, you know, a small fee to a brand new advisor is a big deal. They'll pay a lot of attention to them because they won't have any accounts. When I was a trainee at Prudential Securities, I used to tell clients that, hey, look, the beauty of me being young in the business is I don't have a ton of clients, so I can really pay attention to you. And they, it's the truth. And so, Look, Merrill Lynch has Merrill Edge. So they send their small accounts to Merrill Edge. I'm not saying send all your accounts to Merrill Edge. But the typical advisor on the Merrill Edge desk is a younger advisor. So there's uh, there's less that they have to worry about because smaller accounts have less complicated issues as it relates to their accounts. It's pretty simple stuff. Mutual funds, maybe some bonds, whatever. Not really a complicated practice. Or anything complicated like estate planning, you know, structuring, irrevocable life insurance trusts, things like that. And so it's really you're not really doing a disservice to to the client. If anything, you holding on to D clients and never calling them, not paying attention to them, thinking you're gonna take, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, stick it in a mutual fund when you're collecting one percent, um, you're doing those clients a disservice. Uh, so I, I don't really want to sort of belabor this point because I think if you're listening, I think you've got the point. What I'm asking everybody to do is really get comfortable with being uncomfortable around this conversation and be comfortable with shrinkage because shrinkage will help you grow your practice in the long run. So with that said, <laughs> addition uh, by subtraction, addition, <laughs> addition by subtraction yeah. is a great way to look at it. So with that said, thank you for listening. We appreciate your time. As always, uh, we really try to make these informative. Uh, I know this one was a little bit longer than normal, but it was important because I think it will help you really grow your businesses. But we appreciate it. Yeah, everyone, thank you for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button, hit the subscribe, and check us out on our website, which... I want to make an announcement. We're going to change the website address, but it'll all be redirected anyway. www.eliteconsultingpartners.com. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. And thanks again. We're looking forward to uh, talking to you next time. Yep. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Financial Advisors Advisor Podcast. 
Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, the leading experts in advisor transitions, succession planning, and broker-dealer in RIA M&A Consulting. If you're looking for strategic advice or solutions on any of those topics within the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to the podcast, head on over to ERCAdvisors.com.